The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. Today's going to be one of those passages that looks really unbelievable. Revelation 11 and 12 is where we are. 15 to the end, and then 12 we see the woman and the dragon. And so, we're going to have to do a lot of boogie and get through it all. We will, though. Uh, boogie, who says that anymore? I say it, okay. Anyway, so read with me, and we're, we're going to get to work, and the Spirit is going to be showing us some really awesome things. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, Just think of that for a minute. The temple opened. God's temple in heaven was open, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Chapter 12 is now a shift, and it says this. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is now, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, 
he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. see this picture. Is that the end of, did I just go to 17? I did. We won't get through all of 12. We see this picture. And it's amazing. And it's unbelievable. I mean, look at this. I mean, okay. I'm reading that. But then when I go over here to the, you know, to the letters... You know, Paul's just telling me how to live today. Like, this makes sense. Romans, you know, Ephesians, Colossians. Some, this just makes sense. There's a little, you know, spiritual talk there. It's like, but that's all right. But I get to this, and this is like, yeah, okay. This is pretty unbelievable. The supernatural doesn't make sense to the natural mind. This is God talking to us, and, and, and he's showing us what is happening? In chapter 11, verse 15, we see the seventh trumpet is blown. It sounds, and we see the end result of all things in heaven. It's like a, a quick fast forward. So we were talking about judgments, and then the seventh trumpet comes, and we remember there was a great angel who came down, he lifted his hand, he made a bow, he said, it's going to come quickly at the end. And then all of a sudden we fast forward to the end. I like chapter 11 just like goes quickly right to that time where Jesus returns and they're praising and they're worshiping. It's like, this is the moment. And there's stuff that happened that we didn't, it's not filled in there. But it just fast forwards right to that scene. It starts with that proclamation, the kingdom of of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Seems kind of interesting. It's like, what, isn't he sovereign God? Wasn't it his kingdom to begin with? Wasn't he already reigning? Wasn't he in control of all things? It just seems weird for all of a sudden to say, God who is sovereign and reigns over all things now comes and is sovereign and reigns over all things. There was something going on that we need to be aware of. There's a reason that this 
is taking place, that Christ took on flesh. And there's things that Jesus did. And I think too often we overlook it. We, we go quickly to the gospel, which is a beautiful thing, but we, we don't see the whole picture. So for, to, for you today, I'm hoping to fill some of that picture in. You know, like take the puzzle piece that's missing and put it in there and you say, oh, that looks better. <laughs> you know, that, that's what I was looking for. We have the frame and we have some good sections in there, but we need the whole picture. It starts in Genesis 1, verse 28. And God blessed them. Who did he bless? Man and woman. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, rule, governance, be over it. That's his command to humanity. Take control. You're my image bearer. You are the steward. You are the one who does all things in my image. You have governance. He says, and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, of the birds, of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. They did not keep that dominion. They fall into sin, and we start reading things, Second Peter 2. They... They were to be free, they were to have it, but they themselves are now slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. They are overcome by sin and death when they fall in the garden. And their dominion is taken away. Who takes it? The accuser takes it. Satan, he's come to lie, steal, and to destroy. He steals their authority away. He takes it. He has taken it, and they are overcome by sin, and they are overcome by the serpent in the garden, and he is the prince of the power of the air, the God of this age. He is the one controlling those who are children of wrath. He is over them. When Jesus has a confrontation with the Pharisees, and they're arguing about whose father they are, he says, your father is the devil, because their hearts were inclined towards the things of the evil one. Ephesians 2.2 says this, in which you once walked, saying you are free in Christ, he has set you free, has made you new. He says, but you were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we see this authority over him, a dragon with diadems, with rule and reigning. It's a false reign because he will be overcome. He's a usurper. He's not the true sovereign. Well, we move forward to John 12. We read this. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So here we see Jesus going to the cross and he is going to disarm him. He is going to overcome him. Why did Jesus take on flesh? Part of that is to bring dominion back to man, image bearers, to give us back originally what God had given to us in the garden, to bring it back. The last Adam comes to do what the first Adam failed to do. He forgives sin, yes, but he comes and he fulfills what we were supposed to be doing, and he brings the authority back that was supposed to be there. Colossians 2 15, it says this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them 
in him. Open shame at the cross. The evil one with his powers and dominions and rulers, those openly see him. Those in the heavenlies are looking on and they're thinking, we've got him. They nail him to a cross. He gives his life and yet he overcomes them by the power of the resurrection. He forgives sin, he brings freedom, and he overcomes the evil one publicly, putting them to shame. Ephesians 4, 9 and 10, it says, and he, in saying he who ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended, far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He who descended is Christ. He died and they put him in the tomb and he descended to the bosom of Abraham, which is separated by a great chasm and on the other side is hell. And he preached liberty and freedom to the captives who were waiting for him in the bosom of Abraham. And those who did not believe, who were in unbelief in hell, look at the Messiah who is there and the fulfillment of the promise and they say, yes, he is Lord. In the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so he is there, and he who descended will ascend on the third day, and he will bring the captives with him, triumphing over sin and death and the grave. And we read in Revelation 1.18 this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. Isn't this a beautiful scene? He's falling down at the feet of Jesus and he lays his hand on him. Gentle. What does he say to us in the scriptures? I am gentle and lowly. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You find rest for your soul. John falls down. He lays his hand gently on him and says, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I have authority. I have all authority. 1 Corinthians 15, 24, we see this. Then comes the end, and this is the fast-forwarding part here. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. What we're seeing in Revelation is this moment in Revelation 11 where they say, now is the time. Now he has come. He is taking control. He is delivering it to the Father. He is coming and saying, this is all the Father's. That's the moment. That's what we're seeing. That's the moment. Judgment has come. All is being set right. Everything is being done. That is the moment. So when we read something like Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a weird statement, but if you know the story, it's a beautiful statement because what the usurper has taken, I have overcome him conquered him and taken it back and all authority is mine in heaven and on earth god never stopped being sovereign the father never stopped being sovereign but jesus did the work that the first adam could not do and he brings us back and he replaces the first fallen adam with himself the resurrected king of kings lord of lords the last adam jesus who has all authority 
And so this is the scene. At the end, at Jesus' return, all will be complete. And the already, not yet of the kingdom, we live in that juxtaposition, the kingdom's here. Why? Well, because the Holy Spirit's in me. And like I'm walking around and I'm preaching Jesus and people are being set free in his name and by the power of the gospel. And the kingdom's here. God's moving. But it's not here because he hasn't come yet. So I live in this weird juxtaposition of already, not yet. In this moment, it is already and forever. They don't have to wait anymore. He has come. It is finished. And they worship. Oh, it's so beautiful. Verses 6 through 19. This is what we read again. 6 through 19. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Go back. What's missing? Who is and who was and is to come. It's not there because he is here. That's the point. He never says, I am the one who is and was and is to come again. He says, I am the one who was and is. I am. This is it. Like, that's the statement they're making. And so we, we go on and we see more of the, their statement of worship. Keep going. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. It's the rebellious angels and the demons. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within the temple. And there was flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Just an awesome scene. Verses 6 through 19, we, we see this scene of falling on their faces. The elders, once again, worshiping. They do it three times in Revelation. They do it three times. And if you're like me, the first time I kind of read through Revelation, I kind of just passed over it. I was just like, yeah, they're worshiping again. Oh, yeah, there they are, throwing their crowns down on the ground again, you know. Just kind of like, but if you pay attention, there's very specific reasons they're doing it. Because they see Jesus, and they see God for who he is, and they see an attribute of him, and they can't help but worship. The first time is in Revelation 4, and they worship him because he is the creator so you created all things, and they worship. The second time we see it is in Revelation 5, and they see the lamb who was slain but is alive, and they're looking at him and seeing all that he has accomplished, and they fall down and they worship because he is the Savior. And then we see here, Revelation 11, he has come and he's setting all things right. And they fall down and they worship because he is the righteous judge who makes all things new. Perfect judgment. He is here. Let me ask you, let me ask you, church, when you see Jesus, when you see parts of him in your life show up, does it move you to worship? I mean, these are just three of his attributes. 
I mean, are you stirred in your soul in the deep places? Like, there's Jesus, and you're just like, I just want to get low and give him glory. That's what we're being transformed into. We will be there with these saints in heaven in his presence one day, and we will just see him in his radiance and his perfection, and we will be able to behold him with no veil between us. And our hearts and our spirits will leap, and we will just worship as we know him more and more. Heaven opens up in 19. You see the throne room. Just an awesome, awesome display At the end of chapter 11, though, what we see is that the accuser is thrown down to the earth. Satan is an accuser. He's doing that right now. That's what he does. He's the accuser. So let me, I got this from a website, uh, gotquestions.org, as I was reading and doing different things, and I thought they stated it pretty well, so I'm just going to read it to you about Satan being the accuser. Satan, the accuser, desires to remind believers of their sin and their unworthiness of a place in God's family and in, his, and in this way sow doubt into their hearts and minds. Is that you? This morning, like, you, you just, Satan has just reminded you of your unworthiness and your sin and he's just coming and bringing accusation and there's no reason you should have a place in God's family and you just doubt that even the salvation you had is was that even real he just accuses that's his desire to remind you of the wretch you were of the old man the old woman the the broken one the one who was like the first Adam that fell into sin he's like that's who you are that's who you are and he accuses Back to our quote here, Satan wants to make Christians fear for their salvation and forget God's love and faithfulness. Is that you? Well, you know, I know he knows all that. I just don't know if I'm saved. I just don't know if I'm saved. Am I really saved? And you go around trying to do enough to be saved over and over, and you just live under this weight of I never did enough, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit more. He saves you to the uttermost. It is finished. It is done. When you come by faith, he takes care of it. He wipes away the, the, the law that says you are accused. He nails that to the cross. You are on the cross with Christ. You are buried with Christ. You are raised with Christ. It is finished. But yet Satan says, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. It saves most people, but would he save you? I don't know. We feel that way, don't we? That's what Satan's doing. He's accusing. He's, he's, he's trying to sow doubt and unbelief that we would doubt his love and his faithfulness, God's love and faithfulness. Does God really love me? Is God really that faithful? Does God see what I did this week or last week or does he know my past? Like, would he still really? Yes, while you were sinners, he died for you. Yeah. That's what makes it so beautiful. He knows all of it, and yet he still loves you. And he's faithful. So Satan says, look at your sinfulness, and God says, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. So in spite of Satan's accusations and deceptions, God will not change his mind about those he has called to salvation. I love that. Romans 8, that whole chapter, I love that whole chapter, 
But 8, 38, 39, it just talks about who can separate us. Nothing can separate us. He doesn't change his mind. Our God's not fickle. And he doesn't, he doesn't move in, in lying and deception. What he says is true and right. And if he says, I will save you, if you come to me, he will save you. Period. End of story. If the sun sets you free, you're free. End of story. He has set the accuser's ultimate fate, God has, and that's what we read in Revelation chapter 20. It says, And the devil who was deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's what's coming for him. That's what's coming for the evil one, that he will be cast into the lake of fire. He will no longer be a deceiver. He will no longer come and cause the destruction and the havoc that he has caused. So we get to the end of 11, we go to 12, and we have this, this scene change. We, got to, we get to see the characters now a little bit more clearly. Who is at play in this whole end of day is this 70th week? Who are, who's the cast of characters? The first one we see is the woman and the dragon. The first two, I should say, we see. Verses 1 and 2, it says this, and a great sign. Now, John has several great signs. So this is like, I saw a sign in the heavens. This isn't a literal, we're not literally going to see a woman standing there with stars and moon and pregnant. He's saying it's a sign. This has meaning behind it. That's what makes Revelation hard at times because of signs and things that we don't always understand. But I think we have a good, uh, I think we have some good insight into this. He says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So he sees this woman. He sees this woman as a great sign, and she's clothed with the sun. She has the moon under her feet. Her head is a crown of 12 stars. Now, some have said, oh, this must be Mary. This must be Mary. It's, it's, the, it's the Virgin Mary, and, and she's pregnant. She's going to have Jesus. And, and so uh, you see all kinds of Christian art, especially Catholic art, where they have called Mary now the Queen of Heaven, and she is adorned as Revelation states about this woman here. And you see a lot of things like statues and other images like this. You have that image? So here's a statue of Mary as the queen of heaven. She's standing on the moon with the stars over her head. The description in Revelation 11 is very similar to Jacob and his wife and their children as related by Joseph's dream in Genesis 37, 9 through 11. I don't think it's, I don't think it's what uh, others have said there. This is what we read in Genesis. Then the dream, then he dreamed another dream and, and told it to his brothers. And he said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream of yours and, that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, 
But his father kept the saying in mind. So we see Joseph's dream. He has something similar. Well, I think the woman is better understood as Israel. And the one to come from her is the Messiah, is the Christ, it is Jesus. So Israel is in birthing pains here. The Messiah is to come. One is to bring forth freedom. One is to come from Israel. The 12 stars are the 12 tribes. Joseph's star would be back on the crown of the woman. It's the fullness of the tribes. And there's much pain. Israel went through a lot of pain, went through a lot of of moments of just trying to get to this place where the Messiah would come. I mean, we read their history, and there's ups and downs, and it's, it's like birthing pains. But now the time has come, and the devil is here. So verse 5, we'll see later that she's, it's clear that the child is Christ, who's the one who, to come, the Messiah. But we read this in verse 3. And another sign appeared in the heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. And so we see this authority uh, given to the dragon. He has this, like I said, he's a usurper. He has authority. He's on the earth. He's the power of the air. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the one working in this world at this time. And so he's there and he's waiting to devour this child. So at this point, Satan is the god of, the, of this world and he's fighting with the hosts of heaven still. But he has been cast down. It's the first casting down. And let's look at verse 4. I'm going to show that to you. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and, and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And so the dragon, Satan, actually gets thrown down four times in, in different ways. The first, this is the first one. Like we're seeing, he's been thrown to the earth, but yet he still has access to heaven because he's always accusing. He's always going forward. Doesn't that trouble us? It's like nothing unholy can go before God. And you're like, well, what about Job? Satan gets up there. Yeah, he has access. And he comes. He's the great accuser. He's been cast down the first time. We see this in Ezekiel 28, 16. We read, in the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your mindset, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So he's been cast down. Isaiah 14, 12 says this, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, O son of, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. Again, Satan falling. He's trying to usurp in heaven. He wants to be God. Job is taken. He can't have it. He's thrown down. Luke 10, 18, Jesus says this to his disciples. You don't have that one? He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. They come back. They're like, we're 10, 12. 10, oh, 10, 18, sorry. 10, 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning. He was cast down. 
saw it. Now, that could be prophetic to the future, but I think it, it fits here. Um, so he's cast to the earth. The dragon's on the earth. Why does he stand before Israel when she's pregnant looking for this child? Because he was cast down before Genesis happens for us in our Bibles. He's cast down. He's in the garden. He overtakes the serpent. He goes and he tempts the woman. He's already been at war. And so he comes to create havoc on the earth. And he tempts her. And at the coming of God, at the end of that whole fall, what does God say? One will come from the seed of woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And he's like, oh no, it won't. She's pregnant. Messiah is about to come. Satan says, I'm going to devour that kid. When this one comes, I will destroy him. He's crouching there. He's waiting. That's what we see. That's the scene. He's been cast down. He's waiting. So Satan knows the promise that was given at the fall by God to bring the Messiah, to bring one who will restore things back. He doesn't want that to happen. So he's looking to devour Messiah. Verse 5, we read this. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Jesus overcomes. He tries to defeat Jesus, but he can't. And Jesus goes all the way to giving himself death on a cross and yet resurrected, and then he ascends to heaven. Satan has no power over him. He can't devour him. He can't have him. And the Messiah is caught up. He's brought up to heaven. Jesus defeats him at the cross. And we fast forward, it seems like, to the tribulation. Verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So it seems to fast forward to the mid-trib point, this 1,260 days. It's speaking of that second half of the 70th week of Daniel. It, it, it really connects there from Daniel 9. It just makes sense. Mark 13, verse 14, Jesus speaks about this moment, and he says, but when you see the abomination of desolation, that's mid-trib, that's when Satan comes uh, in with the Antichrist, the Antichrist comes, kills the two witnesses, goes into the temple, sets up his image to be God there. He says, when you see that, standing where he ought not be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. At that point, flee, Israel, flee. He even says it would be horrible for those who are pregnant during this time because this is going to be a hard journey. And that's what's happening. So he is turning, and the woman flees to the mountains. So some would say that they flee to a place maybe prepared in the wilderness. Some think it's Petra. Uh, here's an image of that stone mountain, that, that city carved in stone. It's, it's a stronghold, and so some think that this is where the, the Jews will flee to. Uh, I was reading uh, just this week that there's been Christian businessmen who think that that's where the Jews are going to go, and you know what they're doing? They're stocking the place with supplies that would last people for three and a half years. And they're filling it with tracks in Hebrew. <laughs> I just thought, how do you get that there without people knowing? It's like, what are you doing? Oh, we're just bringing water. <laughs> A whole lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, she flees. 
verses 7 through 9, we read this. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, and he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan and the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the, to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So here, here's the battle. I don't think this is the original battle. I think this is another battle. I think he sees Israel run, and we'll read more as we, as we get. Maybe we'll read more. We have communion. And, but she gets away from him, and he turns his attention back towards heaven, and he starts to fight again. And a, and a war breaks out again with Michael and the angels and Satan and the demons. You know, when we say we're in a spiritual battle, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a spiritual battle in the heavenlies, raging right now for the souls of men and women. And Satan, the great deceiver, the usurper, the one who knows his time will be cut short in this moment, he has only three and a half years, continues to rage, continues to blind people today to the light of the gospel. And in this moment, I think he turns his attention, he rages once more, and he is defeated. And the reason I think it's a different battle is because they say this in verse 10. They say, now, or or they say, ah, I got to put my glass on. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan and the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And there was not a place for them in heaven. Where did I read that? Maybe I have to back up. There was no longer, oh, verse 8. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Okay. So the accuser can come into heaven at this moment. At this point, never again. Never again. He rages again. He is squashed. That rebellion is put down again. He is cast to the earth The other demons cast to the earth, and he says, you will never come up and accuse the brethren. And that's what they say here in the praising of what has happened. So look at verse 10 and through 12. It says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. A voice from heaven, most likely one of the redeemed. It's not an angel It's not the Lord speaking. He just says, I heard a voice, and they're praising, and they're saying that the one who has accused the brethren, that's our hint, that it's someone from the redeemed, from the the group that's worshiping, says, now salvation has come. Like, the end is here. A voice from heaven giving praise to God for what he did. Well, we see... Verses 13 through 17, I'm just going to run through it so we can finish the chapter, and then 
we'll move right to communion. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, time, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after her and to sweep her away at the flood. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe something opens up in the desert. Something is going to wash out as a flood and kill those who are fleeing. Maybe he's trying to destroy them with the waters of the earth. How that looks, I don't know. But it says this in 16, but the earth came to help of, to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Well, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. That's authority. He's, he's saying, I have authority. He's standing on the sand of the sea. And what I think that is, is the sea of humanity. He steps on humanity and says, I'm in charge. He can't get the woman. He's, and he's pouting, basically. He's throwing a big angelic fit. And he's like, I'm in charge of all of humanity. And so he's raging. And if anyone names the name of Jesus, he wants to kill them. Verse 11, bring that up. And they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. You and I and any who come to know Jesus as Savior can live and walk in great victory and freedom. We have overcome sin and Satan by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome sin and Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus' sacrifice. We are cleansed of all unrighteousness, and there is no condemnation hanging on us any longer. By the blood of Christ, we are not only forgiven, but made new and are given the Holy Spirit of God to walk empowered in this new life. By the blood of Christ, the promises of God are applied to us. But better than that, the love of God is poured out into our hearts and we can experience his delight and joy that he has for his children. The blood of the Lamb is not for that time to come. One day, we'll just all get there by and by. No, the blood of the lamb is for now. The blood of Jesus disarms the power of sin. It breaks its grip. We can now start tearing down and casting away the lies of the enemy. Every stronghold that sets itself up, we tear it down and we cast it at the feet of Jesus. The blood of the lamb overcomes it. We can choose life this day because Christ, the living word, dwells in us, empowers us, transforms us. We are restored to our place that Adam lost and are given authority to be Christ's reflection to the world. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And we overcome sin and Satan by the word of our testimony. The testimony that we are his by faith. That testimony of belief that moves us from darkness to light and removes the idols out from our heart and replaces it with Christ. The testimony of the word exposes sin that has gripped us 
And that testimony of the word overcomes sin, overcomes those lies that Satan has propped up. The testimony of Christ reorients us to walk in life-giving, God-glorifying ways. We overcome by the blood. We overcome by the testimony. And we overcome not by loving our lives and holding on to the things of the flesh in this world, but by giving our lives as an act of worship. We overcome by reminding ourselves that this body, man, sometimes this body is this great. It does a lot of good things. And then other days I'm like, man, this body is getting old. And that reminds me, that reminds me, don't cling to the flesh, Rob. Don't cling to the world, Rob. Don't cling for these things because one day you are going to be given a glorified, redeemed body. One day it's going to be gone and something better is going to replace it. It reminds us that if we don't cling to our lives, that we're not holding tightly to the world and we don't hold so tightly that when persecution or threats come, that we shrink back, but we remain firm in Christ. For this, for us, started in Jesus at the cross, and we celebrate it today at the Lord's table. His body broken, his blood shed. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we love not our lives even unto death. We worship him. We live for him. When you come, you're proclaiming that. That's what you're proclaiming. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning to worship. And as we take communion, we, we say as your people, we too overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So where sin has gripped us, set us free. Where doubt has come in, replace it with faith. God, may we come to the table celebrating what Jesus has done. Strengthen us as we come and take the Lord's table. May you be glorified in this act of worship as your people together. Together we proclaim this. Just as heaven proclaims it together and the taking of the Lord's table, together we proclaim this. So be glorified and exalted in all of this that we bring. And may we just worship. It's in Jesus' name we come. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.